0: Don't call me darling. Welcome back, kiddos. Today we're going to be talking about one of my favorite shows of all time, one of the best things ever to cross my television screen and if i might be so bold to cross all of your television screens that's right kiddos today in lieu of a regular issue i want to talk about the audacity of the first season of x-men the animated series Am I the only one who finds it difficult um, to sort of stack rank the hallowed '90s animated series? Um, I don't think that I am, as I think it's pretty clear on this show. I've got a, I've got a, a lot of love for the Caped Crusader. Yeah, I love the Dark Knight, uh, the one and only Batman. So, Batman the animated series typically tops my list. Um, it was the show that I. Um, gun to six-year-old's head. Uh, that sounds awful. Don't do that to any six-year-old unless they have it coming to him. Um, you know, gun to head, uh, Batman would have been first. Um, X-Men, the animated series, would have been second. And Spider-Man, the animated series, likely would have been third, um, which is funny. And I don't know if that has anything to do with my love of Batman or if it was just sort of when the series came out. So in early... Excuse me. In late 1992, um, Batman, the animated series premiered in, uh, I believe, September. Uh, And then a month later, I believe in October, uh, X-Men, the animated series uh, debuted on the Fox Kids Network. It was definitely clear to me that while the shows looked different, you know, they were stylistically different. Um, X-Men had sort of a, a more realistic look to the um, characters. Um, you know, Batman the Animated Series um, definitely had the more cartoony uh, Bruce Timm vibe to it. They were they were cut from similar cloth, I guess. And Batman hit screens first. Um, and the other thing, too, is Batman started to run. Um, Batman the Animated Series was running um, continuously. Um, I remember it was, you know, the show started and then every uh, weeknight, I want to say, I would get home from school and, you know, quickly start recording um, so I wouldn't miss anything. Um, and I remember X-Men was sort of a Saturday uh, morning cartoon affair. It was every Saturday morning you get a new X-Men episode, but it didn't start um, to or, or the, the, the the season sort of started uh, and it started with uh, Night of the Sentinels part one. Um, and I want to say Night of the Sentinels part two, but I actually can't remember um, but the show, I remember the show in late 92, it started and then it sort of stopped. And, you know, as a kid, I didn't really understand. I just knew that, okay, we have some X-Men stuff. We have some, you know, we have some great Sentinel episodes. We've got to know the characters, but now I have to wait till the new year to see what happens. And, you know, I'm not hundred percent sure why that was. It could have been a production issue, studio issue, network issue, or, you know, some combination of all of that. So, you know, Batman, um, endeared itself to me. Um, you know, it it was something that was always there. I would come home and boom, it would be on. X-Men, you had to wait for. And then after season one of X-Men had concluded, um, that's when, you know, you could sort of step back and look at the show in total and just marvel at the sheer audacity it had to try to be perfect. And it really is, I would argue, the most perfect, perfect x-men arc of any x-men thing that i can remember obviously the comic book arcs are what they are it's the foundational stuff but this animated series and you know all the problems that um the well-documented problems that it that it had you know episodes airing out of order they had budget issues you know fox was kind of all over the place with it so it felt very disjointed but when you look back at that first season that that of actually was aired um in sequence i believe um you look back and you're like wow they really uh they kind of threw everything they had at that first season and while the second season with the uh you know the morph storyline of him coming back um, and the Mr. Sinister storyline um all of that was fantastic um and then you know we get into the Phoenix saga and then the show kind of goes in different places after that but that 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 first season um, it was just spectacular. You know, it began with um, Night of the Sentinels part one and part two. Um, it introduced, like I said before, it introduced all the uh, characters that we'd be looking at, the main characters that we would be looking at in this X-Men show. Let me see if I can remember off the top of my head. Uh, you know, I've seen the intro to, that, to the show, uh, you know, I, I think a million times at this point. Um, how does it start? Cyclops, Wolverine, Rogue, uh, Storm, Beast gambit jubilee gene gray professor x i think that's it um you know you got introduced to all of them we would have nightcrawler we would have iceman they would all show up um a little bit later in the in the series but it was this you know the, the the first show really set up the universe that we would be exploring Um, and then right to it, right after that, enter Magneto. That's the name of the third uh, episode. It is It is an amazing episode. I really uh, encourage all of you kiddos to go back out there and watch it, especially the first part when Magneto enters the prison uh, to try to uh, free Beast. Um, Beast wants to uh, stand trial um, and fight his what he believes is the just cause of mutant rights. And Magneto uh, is trying to liberate him and say, what are you talking about? You're going to be tried in a court of law, but not by your laws, by the laws of the humans. Um, and there's this wonderful exchange. Um, there's 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 so much nuance to this, you know, quote unquote, kids show. Uh, please just go back and watch this episode. But there's this fantastic exchange towards the end where it sort of summarizes the polarities of uh, Charles Xavier. In he's not even in the scene. Professor X is, you know, back at the X mansion. This is Beast being the mouthpiece for Xavier's um, ideological stance on mutant issues and mutant rights as juxtaposed with Magneto's view. And, you know, it's this wonderful moment where Magneto sort of realizes, wow, I feel like I'm talking to Professor X all over again. We are superior. We are actually better. We're not the same. We're better than the humans. We're better than the homo sapiens. And they must be destroyed because if we don't destroy them, uh, they will destroy us. And Magneto you know, sort of ends the scene with, you know, the humans must be crushed and I have the power to do it. That was a terrible impression of the animated Magneto, but, you know, you get the point. Um, and then, you know, he proceeds to, you know, crush a bunch of tanks and armored vehicles and send all these, you know, soldiers scattering to the to the winds with his magnetic powers. And, you know, that episode sort of leads into uh, the fourth episode, Deadly Reunions. What was really great, um, I think it's, and again, it's just a difference in the shows, right? Batman the Animated Series, um, which was DC, right? Let's also remember that while all of this stuff was airing on Fox, you have DC comics with Batman, and you have Marvel comics with um, X-Men the Animated Series and Spider-Man the Animated Series. With uh, Spider-Man and X-Men, you definitely get this, uh, you, you you get the sense that the seasons sort of are, are, are full arcs of the show, whereas Batman, the animated series, if you remember, they definitely did have, you know, part one and part twos. They had stories um, that would continue, like um, Feet of Clay, part one and part two. Two Two-Face, part one and part two. Shadow of the Bat, part one and part two. The Demon's Quest, part one and part two. I could go on and on. And it's not that the Batman episodes didn't reference each other. Um, You know, Poison Ivy, I think, in Almost got him makes a reference to Harvey Dent, um, well, to Two-Face, about the time that she and Harvey were dating in Pretty Poison, which was an earlier episode. So, it's not that it was so uh, cloistered or siloed that they couldn't sort of think about that one time when Penguin did that one thing. Um, that definitely informed the show. But with X-Men and Spider-Man, the Marvel shows, they had these arcs that went through the entire uh, uh season, season by season. So in in X-Men, this first season, um, you had these wonderful sort of couplets. You have Night of the Sentinels, part one and part two. That makes sense. Um, Then you have Enter Magneto and Deadly Reunions, where it's the uh Magneto and Sabretooth storyline. Um You find out at the end, Sabretooth's working for Magneto, and Magneto is defeated at the end, but vows revenge against Xavier. Then we move on to Captive Hearts and Cold Vengeance, Captive Hearts being the Morlock episode, where Jean and Scott uh, go on a date, and they go, they they find their way down into the uh, sewers and are kidnapped by the Morlocks, um, uh, a group of subterranean mutants that. Um, I suppose I guess their powers are not the the um, discreet kind or the pretty kind. They're the they're the yicky kind and the ugly kind. They're the you know they have powers that I guess the normal humans would be freaked out by. So they've sort of gone underground, and then that leads beautifully to Cold Vengeance, which is um, you know sort of a Wolverine um, heavy story. He goes you know he, he he goes off into the tundra. He goes off into the frosted wilderness to go sort of find himself. And you get the idea. You definitely get the sense in the show that this isn't the first time that Wolverine has sort of said, "Peace, I'm out." Uh, I don't like any of you, uh, see you later. Uh, you know, he, he goes, he just kind of goes, what is his line? I go where I want to go, you know, and he, he just sort of does what he wants to do. So this is what happens with cold vengeance. And, you know, he has a confrontation with Sabretooth, they fight, um, And but it, Cold Vengeance sort of, uh, Captive Hearts, the show before episode five, um, sort of ends with Wolverine leaving because he is jealous he of Scott Summers, of Cyclops. He wants to be with Jean Grey, uh, she chooses to be with Cyclops, that tale is old as time, right? Um, so he he bails and leaves. Um, he finds his way back, um, I believe he comes back in the next Episode Slave Island. So then you have this uh, you have Slave Island and the Unstoppable Juggernaut. So while we're not going so deep into the rogues gallery, we are definitely meeting some of the um, all time heavy hitters. We've got Sentinels, Magneto, Juggernaut, Apocalypse. That's season one. I mean, that's crazy. And we have a bunch of other small time sort of I mean, Master Mold. um, We'll talk about him when we get to the end. But Slave Island and Unstoppable Juggernaut. Slave Island is wonderful. We're actually um, looking at doing a full uh, in lieu of issue on um, Slave Island. But, you know, to summarize, they uh, find out, the X-Men find out that there is this island called Genosha that is kind to mutants. They respect mutants. They have, I think, special mutant discounts. If you're a mutant, you get to stay there uh, cheaper than the regular humans, I guess. Gambit wants to check it out. Uh, everyone else is apprehensive, but and all of this, by the way, is happening. I believe in Cold Vengeance. I believe this is this is happening. Um, you know, and and someone, someone out there. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe that's the end of Cold Vengeance, where they get to Genosha. Uh, they're captured by the Sentinels. You find out it was all a ploy. Um, of course, we're nice to mutants. We want all the mutants to come here so we can capture them. Um, and then they and in Slave Island, then they're they're interred there. Um, they have the it's the first appearance of the collars. Right? The collars that suppress mutant powers. It's also the first appearance of cable, I want to say. Cable shows up uh, sort of inexplicably in this episode. But it's it's this struggle of the the class of bipeds on the planet at that point, I guess. It's the regular humans versus the mutants, and one is going to subjugate the other into service, and they're trying to, if memory serves, they're trying to build a dam, I think. They're trying to it's 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 something with hydropower. I can't really uh, recall, but it's this—it's this fantastic issue. It really explores um, uh, allegiance. Um, that was a—that was a big thing in it. Which—Which um, which side does Gambit take? You know, he's sort of this untrustworthy. He's may, maybe the most untrustworthy, quote unquote, um, uh, member of the X-Men. So where does his allegiance lie? We really get um, some very visceral um, examples of Storm's claustrophobia. And it's kind of hard to watch. And you know, then after slave island they they're going back to the mansion after that they they um, rescue the mutants and they and they go back and and all of a sudden the mansion is destroyed they get back they get back and and professor xavier is gone he has gone, um, oh, I'm looking ahead. Okay, The Cure. So, so, um, Slave Island, Unstoppable Juggernaut, and then The Cure. So, I believe Xavier's gone to uh, Muir Island to meet with Moira McTaggart at this point um, to explore the famed Dr. Adler's cure for mutation. So, I believe he's out of the mansion when Juggernaut comes and destroys it. He knocks it down, and he has a great line um, when he's talking to the X-Men later, and he says, you know, something to the effect of, I knocked on his door, but I don't think he was home. Something like that. So, you know, Knocking on the door for the Juggernaut is just wasting the entire structure. So you know the X Men fight uh, the Juggernaut. They fight him without Professor Xavier, and in this continuity, um, he is, you know they are half brothers, Cain um, uh, and uh, and Charles. So then we get to the cure. Um, so you sort of have Slave Island on top of the Juggernaut. Then we get cure, the cure, and come the apocalypse. So now we're we're deep in apocalypse territory. Each generation has cried out for a new world. That has built the same old one, corrupt and weak. But the new world shall come to pass. I will purge the earth of these benighted humans. It's it's a fantastic arc. Um, Archangel shows up. (laughs) Uh, uh, Warren Worthington III. We see him briefly as angel before his transformation into uh, Archangel. And we actually get, um, and this is again for anybody who, is there anyone out there who didn't like 2016's X-Men Apocalypse? Don't all stand up at once and raise your hands. God, that movie's hard to watch, but uh, something that's not hard to watch that involves apocalypse is uh, come the apocalypse where we actually get to meet uh, the true four horsemen. It's awesome. It's not sort of the and, you know, I say true four horse. I understand the four horsemen have been, you know, various horse men, women, horse people in the comic books and in different and in different iterations of TV, but. Um, in this one, you sort of get like three random mutants that are transformed into famine, pestilence, and war, and of course, death being um, archangel, and it's and it's awesome. You're definitely awed by their powers, but you're also not super connected to them, so you don't have that sort of thing that where they try to do in the movie where it's like, oh, Magneto and Storm and Psylocke and Angel, and you you care. Well, I guess you were supposed to care about some of them before they transformed. In in this one, they just sort of you just kind of hate these mutants. They're just, they're just the bad mutants um who are trying, but you feel sorry, you you're you're empathetic for them at the same time because they want to cure. They want to be just like everyone else. Um and they're duped. Again, there's a lot of um duping of the mutants, I, I think, in this show. You know, they get them to Genosha under false pretenses, the um sentinel episodes where um, you know, it's the mutant control agency and we're trying to help the mutants. And uh, one of the points that Beast makes in the courtroom scene, um, I believe in Enter Magneto when he's when he's testifying on his behalf. Um, That there's been a series of mutant disappearances and all I believe there's this moment where, you know, the music kind of the sinister ominous music uh, crescendos all were recent registrants of the mutant control agency like, oh, no, there's something there's something going on here. So there's a lot of subterfuge, a lot of tricking the mutants into doing things that um, are not necessarily in their best interest. So you get to come the apocalypse and and oh yeah and then you also get to meet Mystique in this episode so you've got Mystique, uh, Angel, uh, Apocalypse, Cable. It's jam packed. Oh and uh, Pyro, I think Pyro and Avalanche. This may be their first appearance as well. Uh, they have <laughs> Pyro and Cable are fighting by the water, uh, the rocky sort of um, water off the side of a cliff, um, and they're they're going back and forth with their powers. And Pyro Pyro has a a, a pretty thick um, accent in this show, and he said something to the effect of he calls him darling. He says, oh, something darling. And he, he calls Cable darling. Cable retaliates, you know, with and he, you know, he, he blasts Pyro with some sort of plasma weapon and responds. Don't call me darling. Made me laugh when I was five or six. You know, and ultimately, Apocalypse is defeated. I mean, not totally defeated. It's freaking Apocalypse. So he comes back for sure. I believe we see him in season two again in uh, Time Fugitives. Is that right? I don't know. Let me know. But then, you know, the show sort of just jumps um, to sort of the last uh, stretch of the, of, of the show, of, of the first season. So remember I said that there's sort of this wonderful couplet, coupleting effect. There's Sentinels and then Magneto, Captive Hearts Called Vengeance, Slave Island Juggernaut, Cure Come the Apocalypse. Then we get the last three, not two, three. We have, well, Days of Future Past Part 1 and Part 2. Um, and then the final decision. That's the what rounds it out. We are treated to not only, I think, and again, I, I did appreciate and enjoy, I actually really did like um, 2014's um, The Days of Future Past, um, the... X-Men movie, the feature film. I thought that with everything that had come before that they had to sort of put into that and sort of retcon and move things around. I think they did the best that they could have possibly done with that. But regardless, I think if you want to see you know, short of reading just the comic book, the classic arc um, in the the comic books, you want to see something that really kind of gets to the spirit of that comic, I would say. It's these two episodes right here. Days of Future Past Part 1 and Part 2. I don't believe this is the work of the same gang. Why not, Professor? Because... My watch has stopped. I don't understand. Why is that important? Because it's been magnetized. We are treated to three cliffhangers. Three. Um, not only between Days of Future Past Part One and Part Two, you would expect that some kind of cliffhanger to say, "Oh, what's going to happen in Part 2? The Two? The to be continued. What is it going to be? What's going to happen?" But we also get an amazing cliffhanger uh, at the end of Days of Future Past Part Two when we think everything is back to normal and fine. I don't want to go into all of Days of Future Past this um, you know this version of it in in the show. You know, I'm kind of thinking of uh, using it uh, maybe in a in a full issue at some point. So all all I'll say is I really just want to talk about the uh, cliffhanger. So at the end of Part One. Um, you know Bishop he can't he's time traveled back to the 90s um, to avert an assassination but during you know an assassination just like the movie but it's different people uh, this assassination if it is prevented will um, hopefully present a better future for mutant kind and humankind and everyone Um, because in in Bishop's future uh, the Sentinels have taken over everything not just mutants but humans too Um, they've they've gone after everyone so Bishop is in the 90s but through the uh, you know through time traveling he's lost his memory so he can't remember why he's there he knows well he well he comes to learn that he's supposed to prevent an assassination but he can't remember who the assassin is he knows it has something to do with the X-Men at the end of the um, Gambit, who's been who's been off doing something else the whole time. He comes back. Boom. He says, it's you. You're the reason I've come back. And Gambit's like, whoa, mon ami, what are you what, I just got here. And Bishop, you know, holds his gun right up to the camera. Traitor, your future ends now. And he shoots. And that's how it ends to be continued. What happened? No, not Gambit. Everyone loves Gambit. It turns out Gambit's fine. He gets shot, but I don't think it's on the kill setting or something. Um, anyway, you find out that uh, it was actually Mystique. So I know in the movie, uh, Mystique is the assassin. In uh, uh, in this uh, show too, she is the assassin, but she doesn't just sort of show up as Mystique. Like oh, I'm going to shoot you. It's she's disguised as Gambit. The real Gambit comes in, they fight, uh, Mystique gets driven off, Bishop gets sent back to his time, uh, and everything seems fine. Everything, the assassination of Senator Kelly is averted, um, the X-Men don't get blamed. In fact, the X-Men save his life, Um, and this will uh, lead into uh, the final decision, where they really save Senator Kelly's life, because at the end of Days of Future Past Part 2, remember, we've had close to an hour of action-packed content over the course of two episodes, and we join um, Professor X and Jean Grey and scott as they're walking through sort of where the final skirmish the final battle took place um it's near senator kelly's office suddenly um off camera you hear this explosion kelly uh screams and the x-men rush into the room you know there's a huge hole blown in the wall the senator's gone and then there's that wonderful wonderful moment um i believe uh we shared uh this clip on our instagram account earlier i think or later last year you really need to uh, watch it too you know we have audio clips on this show and the on the audio recordings but you really need to see it um, and, and hear it Cyclops is like wow the, the mutants came back to, to kidnap Senator Kelly that's weird and, and, and Professor Xavier um, contradicts him and says I don't think these were the same mutants that attacked him initially so, this, so the mutants we're talking about here Mystique, uh, Blob I believe um, Pyro and Avalanche they're all working for Mystique in this uh, scenario And it's great because Professor Xavier is a psychic. He has psychic powers. He could figure out, I think, um, without any sort of um, external stimuli, uh, what happened. But he doesn't do that. Or if he does, he plays it off. He plays, he's very coy about it. Instead, he looks at his watch. It's not a smart watch. This is, you know, 1993, It's just a regular old metal watch. um, And he, you know, Cyclops says, Well, why do you think it's not the same mutants? And Professor Xavier responds, Because my watch has stopped. I don't understand. Why is that important? Xavier drops the watch. It clangs quickly to the side of his metal chair. And Professor Xavier responds, Because it's been magnetized. To be continued, that sent me screaming out of my house. Sent me screaming um outside to anyone who would listen. Because we hadn't seen Magneto since the end of episode four. Um, Deadly Reunions, where he vowed revenge. Magneto's back. You know, the final boss, um, in my head anyway. I you know, in the hierarchy of being a kid. And and being in love with X Men before an X Men animated series existed, you always just thought Magneto is the biggest bad, uh, you know. Even though I think you know, Mister Sinister is probably more powerful uh apocalypse surely is uh, but magneto is sort of the final boss right and it just set me off i remember uh going outside and um yelling and i think my dad was raking leaves or doing something outside and i'm just screaming magneto's back magneto's back he's like what the hell what what and i'm like yeah magneto's back and i was trying to tell him and i was going you know 100 miles an hour um that magneto's coming back so the next week when magneto came back in final decision i mean it was it was great and you know the, the wonderful thing about that is magneto is sort of He's sort of set up as, oh, I'm going to be the bad guy in this episode, but then the Sentinels attack. And you're like, wait, wait, what? We haven't seen the Sentinels. I mean, we saw them at the beginning of the series, and then we saw them, uh, I believe, during Slave Island, that arc. But we haven't seen them in a while, so now it's it's Magneto and the Sentinels back. And the Sentinels are obviously, they're not fans of Magneto because Magneto's a mutant. So Magneto gets really injured. Um, the Sentinels abscond with Senator Kelly and take him back to Master Mold. Master Mold being the um, you know the the granddaddy of the, of the of the Sentinels. It's a bigger Sentinel. So the Sentinels are very big. Master Mold is like three times um, the regular Sentinel size, and he produces Sentinels. He's just a big manufacturing center. He's just like a building, but in the form of a giant Sentinel that makes other Sentinels. So with Magneto being injured, um, he eventually gets he I I believe he gets rescued by the X-Men or he finds the X-Men to tell them something's wrong. Um, Regardless what happens, they end up working together. And there's that great scene where they uh, the X-Men go for an all out assault on Master Mold in the Sentinels space. Professor Xavier's there. He's not staying home this time. He's in his, you know, tactical camo flight suit thing he's flying the blackbird and you know at one point the blackbird's going down you know it gets hit by some missile or something and it's going down and then it's saved by magneto who we saw uh he he said he wasn't going to go with the x-men initially he was standing back and i believe he said something to the effect as they're flying off he says you know the brave are always the first to die or something like that for all we know at this point magneto's just back at the mansion um eating sickles and watching tv i don't know but he ends up showing up and, and he, you know, um, saves Xavier from doom and says something to the effect of and, you know, he's he's holding him in place with his magnetic powers and says something like, you think I'd really let you die alone, Xavier? And then they fight together and it's wonderful. And and Xavier has this impassioned speech as he's about to blow up Master Mold. Master Malt's taken care of, um, and Senator Kelly is rescued. So this is where, and I love that in Days of Future Past, Senator Kelly gets rescued by the X-Men, but that wasn't enough. That wasn't enough to sort of change his position on mutants. Up until this point, Senator Kelly has been fervently anti-mutant. He even talks about um, getting them all rounded up and putting them in internment camps. That's earlier in the, in the season. And he vows to um, do all this by um, winning the presidency, by running for the, you know, highest office in the land. So, when he's saved by the X-Men, when he's saved by mutants, um, he, you know, the election's going on, I guess, throughout this whole season. They don't really reference it at all, but at the end of the season, you find out, hey, Senator Kelly's been elected president, but he realizes the errors of his ways. Um, he, you know, sort of says, you know, I shouldn't have, you know, we we can't treat mutants this way. They are, you know, they're very much like us, like like regular human beings, and we should give them all the same respect and um, the same rights, the same treatment, um, and to that end, he frees or pardons um, Henry McCoy. Beast is free at the end of the season. And you really have this sort of heartfelt—the um, In the season by itself, if you were to just look at it by itself— um, and you didn't know that season two was coming out or what season two was about with the Friends of Humanity. Oh, geez. You would say, wow, what a great, happy ending. And of course, we know that because of it's this show's great. great uh, because of what the events of season one, uh, it leads to the creation of the Friends of Humanity, this this militant anti mutant group. Um, this hate group, essentially, that shows up in season two. They see Senator Kelly as once their ally um, now becoming an enemy or an adversary. So now they're not only against mutant kind, they're also against humans who are not against mutant kind. So there's all that happening, but I really need to dwell on the on on the sort of the final cliffhanger because we're not done with cliffhangers again. The show is so it had the audacity to try to just be bloody perfect in its first season. Um, At the end of final decision, you have, you know, the X-Men, they've they've gone off their beast is free. Everyone's everyone's doing well. And then we cut to a picnic, a beautiful, sunny picnic with. Jean Grey and Scott Summers, they have their picnic basket, the food, the blanket on the ground. And, you know, Gene's kind of leaning back into his arms and they're talking about the future. This is where Scott uh, proposes. He wants to get married. Um, and Jean ta- starts talking about having kids. And she says, hey, you know, if we have kids, they're going to be mutants. And Scott's like, you know, I wouldn't have it any other way. Um, and then one of them says something to the effect of children um, give us hope for the future. And you're like, wow, what a great way to end. We're going to get potentially, you know, we're going to get furthering of Scott and Jean's relationship, which will complicate things with Wolverine. And, you know, hey, season two starts with Scott and Jean's um, wedding. So it's going to lead right into that. Hey, what a great way to end. Except there's something rather sinister lurking in the background. My brain couldn't handle this, um, I think, because when we had the teaser of Magneto at the end of Days of Future Past. The idea was it would be paid off. In my head, I sort of knew that I I had no real conception of seasons or of how TV really even worked back then. It was, you know, there was no, you know, we were still years away from even dial up internet being something that a lot of people, a lot of families had in their homes. So it wasn't like I could just go look online and say, oh, well, this is going to be, you know, we're going to finish out this, or, you know, we've got one more episode in this season. None of that. You just sort of, turned on the TV and saw an ad for a new episode and said, oh, so, you know, it's gonna be four o'clock on, uh, you know, next Wednesday evening after school or it's gonna be 10 a.m. this Saturday. You didn't really know. But there was something about that, you know, sort of ending that teased Magneto that I knew I would get the payoff the next week. It wasn't the case with the ending to final decision because that was the end of the season. And I think I actually was disappointed when I realized the next week we weren't getting to see the payoff and I would have to wait until the fall. But my God, was it worth the wait? Because when Jean Grey says her line about hope for the future, this figure, um, you know, all of a sudden the, this, the, the scene that we're watching, um, it cuts to a, an ominous looking computer terminal. Um, and we're watching the same thing we were watching, but now it's on a screen. So it's being observed by someone and you hear this voice and they actually had to redo the voice. So the person that they had do the voice at the end of the season wouldn't be the same person that would do the voice in the second season throughout the end of the show. So, you know, they went back and touched it up very much like George Lucas does with all the old Star Wars movies. But the voice repeats hope for the future. And then the voice laughs and then the voice says. Sinister knows what your future holds. And this shadowy figure you don't see him, but you see his shadow go across the, the, the video terminal with Scott and Gene um, sitting there having their picnic. They teased Mr. Sinister at the end of a freaking season of the show. I ran outside again, freaking out. I'm pretty sure, you know, these things aired on Saturdays. My dad was always outside, you know, working on the lawn or working on or, you know, cleaning up out there or whatever. And and I just ran outside again. It's Mr. Sinister. It's Mr. Sinister. I can't stand it. It's Mr. Sinister. And he's like, "What are you talking about?" And I was freaking out because this show. There was just something so wonderful about. And I, you know, I always say in some of the full issues that we've done that I love teasers. It's really, it's truly, is one of the reasons why uh, I end the full issues with teasers for what happens next. There's something about the continuity there. I don't know what it is. Uh, I feel like there's some kind of psychological category for you know, sort of the part in your brain that lights up when this, these kind of things make you happy. But I think it was. It was definitely X-Men, the animated series, more so than Batman and Spider-Man, um, those animated series. This show taught me the beauty and excitement uh, of how to do a teaser and how to do it right. But then this, this first season as a whole, I'm, I'm just looking at the episode list right now. Uh, I count all of them, all of them, in my top, how many, what did I say, 13? My top... Jeez, maybe fifteen or twenty—I don't know. My top twenty favorite X-Men: The Animated Series episodes. It's—it's it's just all of season one. Can we count all of season one as one episode? You know, and and so I can bring in other things like like I said, the, the episodes with um, you know. So there's definitely some great ones in um, season two with um, Scott and Jean and Mister Sinister, and then in season three with the um with the Phoenix Saga. I mean, come on! And then they did the Dark Phoenix Saga and all of that. But this first season, um, just a a fantastic. Uh, very well thought out, very well planned, and very well penned uh, season of Kids Entertainment. I really just can't speak highly enough of this first season. And I recommend all of you kiddos stop what you're doing and go find them. I believe they are all on Disney Plus right now, airing in, you know, out of order or whatever. You can find the the order of operations. You you can find the correct order online. Remember, it starts with Night of Sentinels and ends with Final Decision. Uh, make sure you watch them in order, and make sure you watch them frequently. Because, and again, I'm I I'm not overstating this. It's a bloody brilliant show, but it's even a more bloody brilliant season of the show. Okay, that's gonna do it all for me right now. I have got to run and go finish uh, some scripts. I'm writing two scripts right now. I've got uh, a volume two going. I've got um, uh, issue one about halfway done um, in terms of writing and recording. And then I've got, I'm I'm starting issue two. We're trying to, we're trying to get some of them um, done before we sort of start putting them out there. I'd like to have sort of a backlog of finished full issues that I can just start putting out there and they will show up with a little bit more regularity than they have before. So I'm going to get out of here, but uh, thank you so much kiddos, for listening to this in lieu of a regular issue. There will be more of these coming soon. Little bits of bite-sized nostalgia to hold you over between full issues and especially to hold you over between um, volumes. It's been magical, kiddos. I will see you next time. This is Dixby Caravaggio saying, go watch X-Men, the animated series already. I mean, come on.